Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. This is God's holy and inspired word. It contains all that we need for our faith and for godliness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Father, we ask that you fulfill the promise. For as the, rain, as the rain and snow come down forever, so shall they, so shall the words of my mouth never return, return void. We ask you to, to fulfill that promise even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2014, the New York Times best-selling author, Bart Ehrman, wrote, How Jesus Became God. As the title suggests, he makes the argument that Jesus was not seen as divine by the early church. Ehrman commented that Jesus was undoubtedly a real person. However, he came to be seen as divine the longer the ancient church had to think about it. He was doubtful that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, ever spoke of Jesus as being God. Is Bart Ehrman wrong? I would make the case that he is wrong, dead wrong. In contrast to Ehrman, there are clear reasons that the apostles thought of Jesus as God. In the Gospels, they maintained that He was one substance with the Father and the Spirit, and this was confirmed by four evidences. One, the names of Jesus. Two, the works of Jesus. Three, the attributes of Jesus. And fourthly, the worship of Jesus. I wish to teach you these things so that you will not be confused about popular works that teach contrary to the Word of God, so that you can be assured that Jesus is in fact God. Let's take the doctrine of this text first. Jesus is revealed by, excuse me, Jesus is revealed to be God by his names, works, attributes, and worship. In the exposition, I would like to show you these things that uh, point to a divine Jesus. Uh, Let's read the passage once more, starting with verse 16 and 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, excuse me, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
In verse 16, it is revealed that some worshipped Jesus. I think we need to examine the names of Jesus before we get to his uh, worship. This is the first point, the names of Jesus, or the name of Jesus, because we'll only be discussing uh, one name of Jesus. His name was Jesus. In Greek, that means the Lord saves. The same name is ascribed to the Hebrew name Joshua. Yet for the ancient Jews, this was a fairly common name. So how does this identity prove Jesus was divine? Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 1, 20 through 25. Verse 20, uh, so I'm, I'm going to give you three subheadings in this passage. But first, let's take God named him Jesus. We start in verse 20. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. For she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is the Jesus that God gave to the angel of the Lord. And he brought that name uh, to Joseph. He is the angel of the Lord because all that God gives to him, he does. Properly speaking, the angel was a messenger of the Lord. So Jesus was to be his name as God reported to Joseph through the angel. In other words, God named him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. The second subheading I would like to take is that God interprets the name Jesus. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel of the Lord brings a divine message from God the Father. It is actually God's interpretation of the same name, Jesus. God says this Jesus will save his people from their sins. Think about that for a moment. Only God can save people from sin. And this is ascribed to Jesus. Do you remember Mark 2? Jesus says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Even the Jews knew well that God alone can forgive sins, but this belongs to Jesus as well. This properly belongs to the works of Jesus, and we'll get there in time. But if we can jump ahead to only God can forgive sins. Psalm 8, Psalm 3, 8 and John 2, 9 say, Salvation belongs to the Lord. In Revelation seven ten, 
the multitudes say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The work of God is to save His people from sin. And it is said of Jesus, the Lamb, that He saves His people from sin. Thus, it ends up being a contradiction unless Jesus is actually divine. Hence, this is a divine work. Only God can save His people from sin, and Jesus is said to save people from sin. The third subheading is this. God spoke that Jesus would fulfill prophecy. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This child will be conceived by the virgin, and they would call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is said to fulfill that prophecy to be God with us. God the Father says that he would send the son named Jesus and he would be born of a virgin and that the Lord declared that Jesus would be God with us. This is utterly astounding, isn't it? That God would name him Jesus. God would interpret the name of Jesus for he would save his people from their sins. And, and God spoke of the fulfillment of the prophecy that is contained in the words of Isaiah 7.14 to be God with us. This is really an astounding prophecy, isn't it? Jesus is said to fulfill it by the Lord. Further, this is supported by the works of Jesus. If you would please turn back to Matthew 28. What about the works of Jesus? What do these details indicate about Jesus? Here I only have two subpoints. In this heading. They are only God can forgive sin. And we already dealt with that. But suffice it to say. Jesus forgives sin. Only Jesus. Is acknowledged by God the Father. To forgive sin. But only. God can forgive sin. And this. And thus his deity is revealed. The second subpoint is only God can demand exclusive obedience. Jesus declared in verse 20, teaching them, those that have been baptized, to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice that Jesus does not say all that God has commanded you or all that the Lord has commanded you. That would be appropriate. But all that I have, have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. Only God can demand exclusive obedience. And if Jesus does this without being himself God, he violates the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy 5, 7. Or Deuteronomy 11. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His rules, and His commandments always. 
Jesus teaches him to, uh, to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus is either sadly mistaken or else he is true God. And he, he commands exclusive obedience. All the, all, also, the attributes of God reveal Jesus is God. There are three particular attributes of God that are predicated to Jesus. Omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. These attributes are more simply stated. Jesus has all power and authority. Jesus is everywhere present, and Jesus has all knowledge. First, let's discuss uh, the omnipotence of Jesus. This is a convenient way of saying all-powerful or almighty. And this is only attributed to God. Only God can boast of his omnipresence. And this is is attributed to Jesus. Jesus says in verse 18, all authority or all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus thereby claims that he had been given all power and all authority in the heavens and on earth. According to his deity as the divine son, he had already the authority and power on heaven and earth already. But in, the, in his mediatorial, mediatorial office or his humiliation, this power had not been granted him in total in view of his incarnation after, until after the resurrection. This is confirmed by Romans 1.4. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his re- resurrection Uh, from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the present context, this was after his resurrected state. So he can speak of having all authority or all power in his humanity as well. And verse 18 clearly says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Let us pause for a moment and reflect on this. Do you remember when you're you were a child, or you're already a child, when um, something like this happened. Um, something like this, your parents conversed with you. I, I'm trying to look up, you know. Um, when they said this to you, I have authority over you now. Did you say this, parents? I have authority to you now. But there will come a day when I won't have any authority over you. And you need to be responsible. Adults. And, and uh, be responsible for yourself. Do you remember that conversation? But that is not so when speaking of Jesus. There is no time when you are not ruled by the authority of Jesus. You are mastered by Jesus. You ought to confess that Jesus is Lord now. For He has all authority in heaven and on earth. 
You should bow to the authority and power of Jesus now. Either now, willingly, or in the future, by force. There is no place where you, where, there is no place where you can escape Jesus' divinity. And He has authority over you. Anywhere you go, He has authority over you. Philippians 2, 9-11 says this, Therefore God has bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Furthermore, Jesus claims that He is omnipresent, Omnipresence is only an attribute that God can have. It means always present. And this too is credited to Jesus. Verse 20 says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is claiming to be omnipresent. How does this make sense? Only in view of His two natures. In His bodily form, He is always with the Father. However, He is always with His disciples through the Holy Spirit. He promises to be everywhere present with His disciples. Let's pause for a moment to apply this message as well. In view of His omnipresence, you ought to be aware that He claims to be everywhere. If you are ever tempted to sin, know that Christ is watching and He sees. Know that the Son of God is watching you at precisely this moment and let this be an encouragement not to sin. If you have ever done a good deed and no one seems to notice or even care, know that the Father is thinking of you. And know that Jesus is said to see you and see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven. If you have ever prayed and you don't feel like anyone is listening, know that Jesus is is the omnipresent Lord and He hears you. That's a comfort to me and it should be a comfort to you. Jesus is omnipresent. That is only an attribute that God can boast. And it is said to be found in Jesus. Furthermore, this implies omniscience of Jesus. Omniscience is a state of being that only God can claim. It means all-knowing. And Jesus promises to be with His disciples to the end of the age. This is contingent upon knowing His disciples. Knowing who believes in Him. That is the prerequisite of being omniscient or being all-knowing. But He also knows the enemies that He has. In Matthew chapter 9, in another parallel uh, to the healing of the paralytic, He says this, Take heart, My Son, Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, 
knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think that in your hearts? Knowing that Jesus knows our every word, thought, and deed, rebukes us. Does this not speak to your heart? That that Jesus knows everything. That Jesus knows all your words, thoughts, and deeds. It surely shames me. But it also provides comfort for me. When I was undergoing uh, cancer treatments, a woman contacted me and said that she was mad at God. She was angry at at the Lord. Have you ever been tempted to, to be angry at God? I certainly have. She, she and her husband had really suffered from COVID. Um, and she was fairly young and healthy. But she said that she was angry with God because every time that she was just getting out of that, God would pull her back in. And with, a, with a, another punch to the gut. After thinking for a moment, I said, Tell God how you feel. He already knows how you feel anyways. In faith, you can tell Jesus how you are feeling. And if He is omniscient, you can rely on Him to know that you are angry with Him. And He can help you climb out of your anger. He, after all, is a sympathetic high priest and can carry you to the throne of grace where He sits on the throne interceding on your behalf. You can confess that you were angry at God. This includes Him, a member of the triune God. And He will help you in your time of need. Jesus certainly knows, uh, certainly knows that what you are going through and He identifies and sympathizes with your pain. He had read the Psalms. And, and He knows how many laments are in the Psalms. There, there in the Psalter... Uh, There in the Psalter, like Psalm 10.1, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Jesus was the one who cried out in agony from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the Exodus generation groaned from its bondage, the Scripture says, And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people. And God knew. This is the same omniscience that is ascribed to Jesus. The triune God knows how you feel. He takes sympathy on how you feel. He hears your groaning. He remembers His covenant with you. And that is why I take courage from God's, excuse me, from Jesus' omniscience. The last heading is in the worship of Jesus. Knowing that He is God, the eleven disciples worship Jesus. The beginning of this passage 
says, and when they worshiped, excuse me, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Now, you and I know that this would not have been appropriate for Jews to worship anyone but God. As we read just a second ago, uh, you will have no other gods before me. But in their act of worshiping Jesus, they are displaying implicitly that they believe Jesus is God. Some doubted, and that is what you would expect. But some worshiped him as the the divine Jesus. And Jesus did not stop them from that worship of him. They worshiped him because he was dead, and some of them saw that. But miraculously, he had gotten up. After three days, Jesus rose from the dead to the glory of the Father. Do you remember when the angel of the Lord appeared to John in the book of Revelation? Let me read this passage, starting in chapter 22 and verse 8. I, John, am the one who who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Were were Jesus not God, he would not have charged he would not have charged them not to do this. But Jesus is God. God in the flesh appearing. So what how does this apply to you? I have only two applications. One, information. And two, a question. Let us start with the information. The names, works, attributes, and worship of Jesus establish that Ehrman's book is blatantly untrue and untrustworthy. I have given you much information to withstand the wiles of Bart Ehrman and the scholarship that he represents. There are many scholars that would steal your faith in Jesus from you if they were able. I have given you information to dispel those if only you remember that God named him Jesus. And Jesus did the works that only God can do. And he has attributes that only God can have. And Jesus received True worship as true God. If only you will remember that Jesus is revealed as God by his name, works, attributes, and worship. But I have secondly a question. What can a dead man do? What can a dead man do? He cannot save you. He cannot plead Plead for your case. If Jesus was not divine, he can do nothing for you. If Jesus was not not really God, then he was only a man. And if he was only a man, he was infected by sin and transgressions of which we all are. Nevertheless, he lived an admirable life, but then he died a horrifying and gruesome death on a cross. 
He didn't rise from the dead and didn't ascend into heaven. If this was so, he was just a normal human Jew. Once again, I ask you, what can a dead man do? But we really don't believe that, do we? We believe that he was the eternally begotten son. He was truly incarnated and assumed a true and living body. He lived a blameless life and a righteous life and died the death that we all deserve. And and his body was resurrected and ascended into heaven. We believe that he was God in the flesh. The larger catechism, question 38, reads this way. Why was it requisite that the mediator should be God? Answer, it was requisite that the mediator should be God, that he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death, give worth and efficacy to his sufferings, obedience, and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a peculiar people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them to everlasting salvation. This is, in summary, uh, are all the benefits of Christ as God brings to you. However, if he was not God, he was just a man. And if he was just a man, you are still dead in your sins. He cannot promise you anything because he doesn't have the right to offer these, these promises to begin with. However, by the authority of the scriptures, Jesus was both God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Therefore, he can offer you, uh, he can offer to you all the promises that God can deliver. And he is fully able to deliver you what he promises. He can uphold in his, he can uphold in his in his body from sinking under the infinite wrath of God. He can preserve from the power of death and he can so do this to you. He can can give worth and efficacy to the suffering, obedience, and intercession of you and any man that comes to him. He can satisfy God's justice. He can procure God's favor. He can purchase you as a peculiar person. He can give his spirit to his people. He can conquer all his and our enemies. And he can bring us to everlasting salvation. If Jesus was just a man, he cannot offer any of these things to you. But he is not just a man. He is truly God. Therefore, only the God-man can make these promises to you and is able to fulfill them by his names, works, attributes, and worship. You can know for sure that he is God. And if he is God, you can worship him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you help us to meditate on all of Jesus' names, works, attributes, and worship, 
so that we can see Jesus and worship Him only. For Jesus had the names of God. Jesus shared the works of God. And Jesus alone has attributes of God so that we can, we can worship Him as true God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Please help us to confess that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.